Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Everything that the first Adam was, but something more. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. There was an extra dimension in Jesus. You know what it was? Jesus wasn't just a man, a rabbi, a prophet, or even a miracle worker. That was God manifest in flesh. That was God taking on a body of flesh to pay the price for our redemption. So the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now that's bad news. That's just awful. Because we're a living soul. Jesus is a quickening spirit, and, and, and so that's a dead end because he has something that we don't have, can't have, could never have, unless there was a way somehow to get that quickening spirit that was in Jesus inside of you. Then you could go to heaven. I'm glad to tell you that the Bible says if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it gets in you, dwells in you, lives in you, it'll quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. Yeah, you can get that spirit. It's called the Holy Ghost. You can receive the Holy Ghost tonight in camp meeting. It's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's amazing. It's amazing. Paul goes on in verse 47. He says, the first man is of the earth and he's earthy. And so are you. But the second man, he's the Lord from heaven. It's amazing. This is everywhere in the New Testament. Paul spends the second half of Romans chapter 5 comparing these two Adams. Here's what he says. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and then death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So here's Paul's picture. It's like a a tragic chain reaction. The first Adam, he sins in the Garden of Eden. He has a perfect environment, but he disobeys God and he sins. And sin passes down through his bloodline. Every child, man, woman, boy, girl that's ever born, it's like Adam is at the head of the line of humanity and sin passes from him down through every person that has ever been born. It's like Adam is at the head of this long line of humanity and you and I are in that line. It's a terrible, tragic chain reaction. Sin and death are passed down and all have sinned. You see, Paul isn't just saying we're all like Adam or we all resemble Adam or we're sort of similar to Adam. Paul is saying we were all in Adam. Adam was our legal representative in the Garden of Eden standing before God. So when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam failed, we all failed. When Adam messed up, we all messed up. And I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. I don't like that, God. I don't think that's fair. Jesus, this is America. I didn't get my vote on Adam. We're a democracy. If I'd have been in the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't be in this mess. Nah, you don't know that for sure. Actually, your spouse could probably tell us if you'd have been in the Garden of Eden, we'd be in a bigger mess. 
I don't like God's system. It's not fair. It's not democratic. I didn't get my vote. I didn't vote for Adam. That doesn't seem fair to our Western minds, to our sense of representative democracy. We don't like it. However, you might like God's system a little bit more if you thought it through. Because if one man's sin could become everybody's sin, then if there ever could come a second Adam, another Adam, a different Adam, and he was sinless and perfect and holy and righteous, if one man's sin could become everybody's sin, then if there could ever come a perfect Adam, if there could ever come a righteous Adam, then... His righteousness could become your righteousness and his holiness could become your holiness. That's why it's so important to get everybody you know, everybody you love, everybody you care about, get them out of this line of sin and get them into that line where they're redeemed, where they're saved, where they're part of God's church, where they're headed for heaven. There's another line. Oh, my, my, my. And that's exactly what Paul says, verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more, oh, he likes to say that, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which came by one man, Jesus Christ, it has abounded unto many. So here's how it works in a nutshell. Adam was disobedient, but Jesus was obedient. Adam broke the law, Jesus fulfilled the law. Adam brought offense, Jesus brings grace. Adam brought bondage, Jesus brought freedom. Adam brings death, Jesus brought life. Adam brings condemnation, Jesus brings justification. The first Adam cursed us, but the second Adam, he blessed us. The first Adam, he hurt us, but the second Adam, he healed us. The first Adam, he put us out, but the second Adam, he brought us in. The first Adam, he put us down, but this second Adam, he lifted us up. The first Adam put us on the road to hell, but the second Adam has put us on the road to heaven. I'm glad for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nobody like him. There's nobody like you. Now, my, my grandmother would say, and I guess this comes from cooking chickens or something. She would say, I have a bone to pick with you. They say that in Missouri. My grandmother would have said that. I have a bone to pick. I have a bone to pick with you Pentecostal people. Because Pentecostals, we've given the apple bad press for years. We send innocent precious little Sunday school kids home from the nursery class with a paper with Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden. They've colored it in the way that those little children do. So Adam's red and Eve's blue and the apple's yellow. You know, they, we send innocent, impressionable children home with Sunday school papers that have Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, heads down, crying, holding a half eaten apple. That's not Adam and Eve. That's Snow White. Who told you it was an apple? The Bible doesn't say it was an apple. Think with me. 
when Adam and Eve sinned and immediately reached for something to cover their nakedness, what did they reach for? They reached for fig leaves. It wasn't an apple tree. It was a fig tree. Now, you don't have to agree with me because everybody has a right to be wrong. So it's, you don't have to agree. It's well documented in ancient Jewish literature that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. The Midrash in ancient Jewish writing refers several times to quote, the fig leaf which brought remorse to the world. So, so I'm right, okay, sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing, that helps me in the New Testament <clears throat> because there's this story in Mark chapter 11, that always really bothered me. Because Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're staying at, in Bethany at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Speaking of dysfunctional families, um, they're staying there. You know, Mary is the worshipful, meditative, beautiful, consecrated one who's always sitting at the feet of Jesus. And her sister Martha is a workaholic, and she's always beating pots and pans together in the kitchen, trying to give Mary a strong hint that you should get up off your knees and come help me. Jesus just showed up with 12 men to feed and so Lazarus, he just gets tired of it and he dies, checks out. <laughs> and Jesus says, uh-uh, buddy, come on back. <laughs> it's a dysfunctional family. But, but anyway, that's, I digress badly. Okay, so, so here we have Jesus and his disciples. They're staying in Bethany at that home with their, their friends. And it's Passover week. And every morning they get up and they travel the, the distance into Jerusalem and they participate. And it's, it's not going well for Jesus that week. This is the week that he cleanses the temple and everybody's mad. He overturns the tables of the money changers. It's just not a good week. And Jesus knows, and his disciples don't quite get it. Jesus knows that within days, just a few days, just a handful of days, he's going to be lifted up on a cross and shed his blood for the sins of the whole world. And one morning as they walked down that road toward Jerusalem, this has always bothered me. Jesus sees an innocent fig tree. I will not hurt your plant. Uh, Jesus sees an innocent fig tree on the side of the road. Mark's account in Mark 11 tells us specifically that the time of figs was not yet. Jesus, that's God in the flesh. He created a fig tree to bear figs in, in one season and not in another. And the Bible specifically says the time of figs was not yet. And so Jesus walks over to the fig tree, rustles around in the branches, can't find any figs to eat, and curses that poor little fig tree. That always bothered me. Now, I know we've got preachers that they're brilliant and they've made all kinds of beautiful sermons about being faithful and fruitful and you should bear fruit. And I don't think that's what's going on. And that always bothered me because he created the fig tree and said, don't bear figs in this season. And then because the fig tree was doing what he created it to do, he curses it. And the next morning they're walking by and the disciples, you know, Peter, um, it's like, uh, oh, the fig tree's withered. It's like, well, die. Yeah, I cursed it yesterday. And yes, it's, 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 it's withered. I've always had a real problem with that story until I got thinking about the Garden of Eden. And then I got thinking about what Jesus was on his way to do that week. Jesus, God manifest in flesh, walks down the road and he knows his destination is Calvary. 
where he's going to die and shed his blood for the sins of the whole world. And he sees the same kind of tree that got us all into problems in the first place. And when he sees a fig tree on the side of the road, the same kind of tree that the first Adam took fruit off of and ate and plunged us all into sin, the whole human race, the second Adam walks over to the tree. Jesus isn't looking for figs as much as he's illustrating something. The second Adam walks over, there's no figs for him to eat. The second Adam, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never partook of sin. And then the second Adam goes beyond that cursed fig tree to another tree where he is lifted up on the cross, sheds his blood, and when that sinless blood touched the sin-cursed soil of planet Earth, earth. That curse was reversed. That curse was broken. That curse was lifted. You don't have to be an alcoholic. The blood will cleanse you of that. You don't have to be a drug addict. You were created to be some kind of perversion, some kind of terrible sin. The blood can free you from that. Oh, I wish you'd lift up your hands and I wish you'd lift your voice higher than your hands in this room. When the second Adam speaks, the curse is cursed. The curse is broken. The curse is lifted. I don't care what your daddy did or your grandma did or your great uncle did. I don't care what kind of pollution runs down through your family tree. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things are become new. I am not a recovering anything. I am a delivered child of God. I'm grateful for all the programs and all the help and everything. I'm not knocking that. But I am not trying to get past my past. Jesus erased my past and put it under the blood. My goodness. So, so, so here's the thing. Before you were saved, everything that was true of the first Adam was true of you. You say, no, not me, Pastor Raymond. No, I never would have. I never would have gone. You have no idea how far you would have gone if it had not been for the grace of God. Don't you ever get up on your high and mighty horse and look down your long religious nose at somebody that's suffering, somebody that's hurting, somebody that's bound, somebody that's addicted, because let me tell you something, sin just breaks us in different places. And the same God who set you free from your past, he's just anxious. He's just waiting. He's just anticipating the chance to set somebody free. Yes, in this room tonight. My goodness. And Paul, Paul, Paul loves to, tell, to teach this. So before we were saved, everything that's true of that first Adam is true of us. But after you're saved... Everything that's true of that second Adam becomes true of you. 
I am not here. I didn't get invited to speak in this meeting because I'm so righteous. I am here because he's so righteous. I am not here tonight because I'm so holy or I'm so good. I'm here because he's so holy and he's so good. And Paul loves this phrase much more. Romans 5 and 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. People say, I don't like all those rules in the Bible. You want to thank God every day you live for all the rules in the Bible. Because if we didn't know what God expected, we wouldn't know how deep in trouble we really were. The law entered so we'd know we were in trouble. So we'd know it was sin. So we'd know how bad it was. The law entered that the offense might abound. Say, that's awful. Oh, no, there's more. But where sin abounded, (laughs) grace did much more abound. Oh, my. So let let me come back. I won't won't be too long here. Uh, when, When Abel died and his brother Cain, his older brother, the first son of Adam, when, when Cain buried Abel's body in the ground and his innocent blood, he wasn't sinless, but he was an innocent man. When his innocent blood seeped out of his body and touched that soil in Cain's farm, it's like his blood became his defense attorney. And up in heaven, God said, wait, wait a minute. I can hear the blood speaking. (laughs) The devil made a bad mistake when he lifted up wicked hands and killed Jesus on the cross of Calvary. In fact, Paul, looking back in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, none of the princes of this world recognized, they didn't know the wisdom of God. Had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus wasn't a martyr or a murder victim. Jesus was large and in charge the entire time that he was being nailed to the cross. That was all for a purpose. He was shutting down the power of sin over his people. Now, as long as the blood is inside, as long as Abel's blood was in his body, heaven wasn't hearing it speak. It was when his blood flowed out of his body that something shifted and heaven said, I can hear the blood speaking. Some people say, well, I'm saved by, you know, the life of Jesus and I follow the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. You are not saved by the life and the teaching of Jesus. You are condemned by the life and the teaching of Jesus. He was perfect, you're imperfect. He was holy, you're unholy. He was righteous, you're unrighteous. You will never be saved by following the life and the teaching of Jesus. The Bible tells us it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that provides for us the gospel. That's that's the gospel. And so it's the same with Jesus as it was with Abel. While Jesus' blood was inside his body, he walked on this earth for 33 and a half years. His blood didn't redeem us. His teaching was wonderful. His miracles were powerful. But his life condemned everybody. He was a holy, righteous man. And everybody else was not. But when he was nailed to that cross and his blood came 
streaming, flowing, seeping out of his body. And it started running down that old rugged cross. When his blood started coming out, that's when something shifted in the supernatural realm. All of a sudden, his blood, he he wasn't just innocent, he was sinless. And now you've got sinless blood that is speaking. And that blood is still talking for you and for me and for us and for his church tonight. You are not defenseless out in that world that is against you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are not powerless because you have a secret weapon. The elders taught it to us. When you get in trouble, when you get in danger, when the enemy is arrayed against you on every side, don't you run. You stand your ground, lock your feet, square your shoulders, and plead the blood. As somebody say to me one time, I don't like that phrase, plead in the blood, plead the blood, plead the blood. Sounds like we're begging God. I plead. Beverly tells me not to say dummy or stupid in the pulpit. You big dummy. There, I'm good. She might be watching. It's not talking about pleading as in begging. It's talking about pleading the blood as in a courtroom a legal pleading where you are on the witness stand and the prosecuting attorney, the devil, is bringing up every sin, every moment in your past that's disgraceful, everything you've ever done that's hateful or wrong or sinful, everything that you've ever done that's shameful, every little bit of addiction and bondage and whatever touched you, whatever hurt you, wherever sin broke you, and the devil will lead you into it and tempt you to do it, and then he'll try to kill you for it. And the prosecuting attorney is coming coming in for the kill and everybody in the courtroom knows you're going to be locked up for a long time and then all of a sudden your defense attorney walks in the Lord Jesus and he says I've got a legal pleading here Yeah, he sinned, but I've got blood that can cover that sin. Yes, she failed, but I've got blood that can erase that failure. I can turn that mess into a miracle. <laughs> That's why the elders told us when you get in trouble, you plead the blood. I wish somebody lift up your voice right now and just plead the blood. God, I'm not perfect, but your blood helps me. Jesus, I'm not powerful, but your blood has power. Jesus, I'm sick in my body, but I plead the blood over my body right now. I plead the blood over my family that's broken and hurting right now. I'd like to move on with the sermon, but I can't because I see some faces in this room right now and the power of the blood of Jesus is in this room right now. He's here to restore marriages. He's here to break the shackles of sin. He's here to obliterate bondage. He's here to turn it around. So this great church, would you lift up your hands and your voice and would you plead the blood over everything that's breathing in this room right now?
If your spouse is standing beside you and there's some kind of turmoil or trouble in your house, take them by the hand. Lift that hand with yours. Bleed the blood over your kids. Bleed the blood over your grandchildren. If you're sick in your body, lay your hand on yourself and pray and say, I plead the blood over this heart condition. I plead the blood over this cancer. I plead the blood. I speak healing to you, not because I have great authority, but because the blood has great authority. I speak healing to you right now. Oh, my, 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 my. Music team, come on back and get ready for us if you would. Mm mm mm. I wish some apostolic, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled intercessors would just go to praying right now. You're not interrupting anything if you're an intercessor and you're praying in an apostolic service. We'll be just fine. You do what you do. Brother Parkey was right. There's healing in this room tonight. He spoke prophetically when he said, there's deliverance in this room tonight. Yes, 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 yes. Would you reach over and lay your hand on somebody that will let you do that? Now, I don't want you to just pray this little simple blessing prayer. I want you to plead the blood over them. You may not know all the chaos and the turmoil and the trouble and the strife that the devil has unleashed in their life. But the blood is stronger than that. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. The blood of Jesus is stronger than cancer. The blood of Jesus is stronger. Oh, that's so good, Missouri. Pray, people of God. Pray, people of God. Soto queso. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.